we are live. Welcome in, everyone, back to the Alligator Sports Podcast. We have a super awesome guest today, and we are very thankful for him joining. It is Mr. Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports. He's a fantasy football analyst. Jamie, how are you today, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Lovely Tuesday morning. Uh, it's the off season, so we're, I'm, you know, I'm sure we're both anxious for football to get started back up. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, thank you, thank you for joining again. And of course, as always, we get Mr. Joe Henry, the, our lovely co-host. Joe, how are you today? I'm doing great. Excited huh. to be talking fantasy football. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to talk about. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. I'm sure we're all lovers of it. And uh, yeah, for sure. But before we get into that uh, tasty conversation, uh, Jamie, please, please tell me and the audience about yourself. Um, just kind of take us through a little bit of history of, uh, you know, from Florida to uh, where you are now. Uh, sure. Uh, so I graduated from Florida in, uh, in 98. So I'm an old man and um, uh, thankful to work at the Alligator uh, while I was at in Gainesville. So this is, uh, this is exciting to uh, talk to you guys. Um, so from, from Florida, I, uh, I worked at a small newspaper uh, that's no longer in, in existence. Uh, if you guys still know what newspapers are, obviously. <laughs> um, it was, uh, it's called the Boca Raton News. Uh, but it was a great first job, first experience. Um, you know, being in South Florida, I'm from South Florida. So, so being in South Florida uh, gave me the opportunity to cover a lot of the pro teams, uh, Dolphins, Heat, Marlins, uh, Panthers, you know, so got a lot of experience uh, doing that. It was, you know, great life experience, great job experience. And um, actually, uh, it was so such a small paper. Um, before I left, I was actually the sports editor for a brief time. So um, we'd like to say we were the fourth largest daily paper in, um, in South Florida uh, behind, you know, some three, three pretty big ones uh, with the Miami Herald, the, the Sun Sentinel and, and the Palm Beach Post. And then from uh, the Boca News, I went to the Palm Beach Post and I was working at the Post uh, while I was in Florida, uh, you know, as a correspondent covering the Gators uh, for them. And so it was a, a easy transition to, you know, go there and, you know, knowing all the people there. And I was there for uh, a few years uh, from, I think it was 2001 to 2006, so about five years. And uh, kind of did, you know, the, the uh, you know, ran the range of, of, of covering a lot of different things from high schools to, uh, you know, I was basically the number two Dolphins guy, number two Heat guy. You know, I was kind of just running around doing a lot of different things. Um, because I was a little further south than a lot of the other guys that were up in, in West Palm. So uh, another great opportunity just to, you know, get um, get to cover a lot of cool things and, you know, travel with the Dolphins a little bit, travel with the Marlins a little bit. It was it was fun, uh, but I was looking for something different. And then CBS had an opening to be a fantasy football analyst. And I was like, I don't want to leave newspapers. I'm, gonna news I'm a newspaper guy. You know, this just shows you how short-sighted uh, some of us were um you know in in the early 2000s uh especially coming out of college and and working for a great you know paper like the alligator so um uh my girlfriend my wife now my wife girlfriend at the time she said are you crazy uh this is the perfect job for you and uh I, i'm thankful for her advice so uh, i took the job at cbs in 2006 and i've been here ever since you know uh um as a as a fantasy football analyst you know people don't think that that's a real job um sometimes but it actually is and it's uh it's been uh, an, an absolute blessing, but it all started at uh, at the Alligator and at the University of Florida. All right. Well, hey, take it from me. Uh, being a, fo a fantasy football analyst is a real job because people read read your stuff every day, especially like me. So uh, people are trying to get better. But that's I actually played awesome. in my, my first fantasy league uh, with with guys from the Alligator, and we still continue it to this day. Uh, it was 1997, um, and so my my group at the alligator was uh, uh israel gutierrez uh mark long if, you, if you're familiar with him he covers the jaguars for the associated press uh andy staples um 
uh, Andrea oh. Adelson, uh, who, who does a great job for ESPN. It was a, it was a great group of people to, to work with. And uh, I'm very blessed to have that, that group to, uh, to come out of uh, college with. Nice. And how many championships in that league have you uh, won? <laughs> you know, um, I think I've won four, but I have not won one since I've taken this job. <laughs> I think I make oh, the no. playoffs every year. Uh, I've been in several finals. I've, I've had some bad luck, unfortunately, but um, uh, no, I have not won since I've taken this job. It's very funny. That's, that's they just take your advice and use it against you. They do. They do. It's very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly how it works, man. Um, but anyway, that being said, uh, let's, let's get right into some famous football talk. Um, so actually, uh, I, I, I did have this, have this question across my mind earlier. It's a little bit, a little bit of a joke question, but um, at, at what point is it, uh, do you tell your friend that they are in too many leagues? I can't give that advice because I have a hard time saying no when people ask me to play in fantasy leagues. Uh, I'm getting a little better at it, but I usually play in, in 20 to 25 leagues um, a year. Um, obviously, a lot of it is job related, you know, so we do a lot of, you know, leagues that we mock and then we play out. Um, I do other analyst leagues, you know, where, you know, people around the industry. So um, it, it's a little skewed, but I probably do about uh, 10 of my own personal leagues um, just to give you some perspective. Now, some of it is, uh, leagues that are evolving. Like I have, uh, I have three kids. So um, my nine-year-old, we do a father-son league that's been going on. I think this will be year five. Um, I have a six-year-old that we're going into year two of his father-son league. So, you know, there are some of those that are starting to become, which will hopefully eventually hand it off to them. And it just becomes, you know, the kids league. But um, I, I, I would be the wrong person to ask how many leagues to play in just because of the amount of leagues I play in myself. <laughs> That's, that's actually really funny because here I am like feeling bad about being in like three or four. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 20. Okay. So I'm just going to keep on saying yes. There you go. It's possible. I've always capped out at like four. That's <laughs> after that, I start to lose track of everything. The, the thing I think you run into, obviously I do, um, but I try to, you know, diversify my portfolio, if you will, um, is, you know, you're playing against players on your own team. You know, there, we all have leagues that matter to us the most, you know, I mean, that, that's always going to be the case. You know, I, I, I have a handful that um, I'm always going, I mean, I try to win them all, but I have a handful that, you know, the, the ones with my buddies that are just the, the ones that are a little bit more important, but um, you know, you're playing against yourself uh, essentially because you have guys on one team that are also on another team that you're playing against on another team, you know, so it could become a little bit of a annoyance if you have too many leagues. So you probably do want to cap it, but um, again, I get paid to play in fantasy leagues, So it's hard for me to say no. Of course, of course, that makes sense. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get that question out of the way. But so that being said, let's get into a little bit of uh, some first round chatter. Um, so I did notice I was taking a peek at your fantasy football rankings. Um, and I saw that you had Christian McCaffrey as number one. Um, so as most of us probably do know, McCaffrey was injured for most of last year. I think he only played three games. Um, so I was wondering uh, why you put him at number one or actually you and Dave Richard and Heath Cummings actually all had him unanimously as, as number one. So I was just curious about that. I'm pretty sure it's an industry-wide thing. So it's not just us at CBS or certainly not just myself. Um, you know, you just go back to what he was able to accomplish in those three games. Uh, you know, he would have been a top three running back in, in points per game. Uh, obviously what he accomplished in 2019 as uh, one of the best performances in the history of the game, uh, certainly at that position. So the hope is, you know, you look at what Mike Davis did, just, uh, you know, there, there was some, some concern obviously with the change of offense, you know, with, uh, Matt Rule coming in, you know, uh, Brady as a new offensive coordinator, Joe Brady as a new offensive coordinator. Would they still feature McCaffrey the same way? They obviously did that for the most part with Mike Davis in the 13 games he played in place of McCaffrey in the three games McCaffrey played. 
he still was obviously dominant. So I think you just go back to who he is as a player, what he's able to accomplish or what he should be able to accomplish. And it's easy to say he's got a little bit of an advantage on the field. Now, obviously format matters because you can make a case, for example, in non PPR leagues where catches don't count that a guy like Derrick Henry, who could challenge for the rushing lead once again, uh, could be better than, than McCaffrey. But uh, what he does as a rusher, what he does catching the ball, you know, he's the typical running back in today's NFL because he's a dual threat. And so, uh, there could be some, you know, challenges to his workload, but I think it's pretty easy to say McCaffrey's the best player going in and should be the number one overall pick. Yeah, for sure. Still looking at like the top of your rankings here. You have a lot of the household running back names, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry, Saquon Barkley, who's also coming back from injury. And then at six, we hit Jonathan Taylor going into his sophomore year was definitely the best of the rookie running backs last season pretty far and away I would say do you think there's any sophomore year running backs that are going to kind of break out and maybe start pushing Taylor for the best of that class there's a lot of guys uh it, it's a great class uh, I actually just finished um so we we do two editions of our of our magazine uh we partner with Beckett Media and we we put out two fantasy football magazines so there's one that's on newsstands now uh but in the second edition which comes out in August I just did a story on the second year running backs and got a chance to speak to a few of them speak to some guys about them and it's just a, a phenomenal group. And if they perform to the level of where we have them ranked, for example, uh, or at least, you know, somewhere close, it uh, could be one of the best running back classes that we've ever seen from a fantasy perspective and maybe from an NFL perspective. Uh, you go back to the McCaffrey class, you know, where it was McCaffrey, uh, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, um, Aaron Jones, just a phenomenal group. And you see where those guys are still being ranked and drafted for fantasy purposes. Um, this class could be amazing as well. So Taylor is the, is the you know, top guy uh, going in. You know, I hope he's the top guy going out. Otherwise, there's going to be some people that are upset. Uh, but you look at Cam Akers. You look at Antonio Gibson. Uh, last year's you know, unfortunate bust based on the expectations, but I think he has bounce back potential. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, playing with the Chiefs. Um, those guys all have the chance to be special. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, same thing. You know? So there's six guys, I think, if you go into it, that are uh, in consideration to be drafted in the first two rounds. Now, uh, we typically use the phrase average draft position, which is, you know, tells us what the people who are playing in fantasy, where they're drafting these guys. Uh, and so early average draft position tells us that they're going in the first 27 overall picks, those six guys. And again, that's Taylor, Akers, Dobbins, uh, Gibson, Edwards, Hilaire, and Swift. Um, I don't think I left anybody up, but if I did, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I think that's six. Um, they're going in the first 27 overall picks. And then uh, there's a few after that that have some potential. I think Zach Moss is a nice sleeper. Uh, could be Buffalo's lead running back. You know, was doing some nice things last year before he got hurt in the playoffs. A.J. Dillon, if something happens to Aaron Jones, you know, there's no more Jamal Williams. So if he becomes the lead running back for the Packers, and there is obviously Aaron Rodgers there, then A.J. Dillon could be special. And then the guy who was the best last year, who uh, looks like he's going to get replaced, is James Robinson. But, you know, Robinson could still be the lead rusher for the Jaguars. I don't think he's going to be the best running back there because of Travis Etienne. But it's just such a special group. So, uh, again, Taylor, you know, is worth drafting in the first round for sure. The other guys are late first rounders, early second rounders. Uh, Akers should be the second one off the board. But uh, Taylor's got a chance to be special this season. All right. And sticking on the subject of running backs, actually, is there any rookies that you think might, might have a breakout year? Well, Najee Harris is the best one going in. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's offensive line is a little bit concerning, but, you know, you saw what Harris was able to do at Alabama. Obviously, we all saw that at SEC championship game. So, you know, Harris has just, uh, you know, the opportunity to step into Pittsburgh's offense. And if you go back through the Steelers' history under Mike Tomlin, 
when he has a guy, he uses a guy. And that's what we're kind of looking for these days because of what committees have become, what tandems have become, running back by committee. Uh, we're all trying to find that featured back. And Najee Harris should be that guy because he's a dual threat, uh, should work at the goal line. So he's got that three down workload almost locked up. And so if the offensive line is somewhat competent, then you can make a case that it's very concerning, especially after DeCastro just retired for, or seemingly looks like he's going to retire, but was released by the Steelers, uh, one of their veteran offensive linemen. Uh, they do bring in Trey Turner, but, you know, I think uh, Najee Harris has a chance to be special. Now you get past him, it becomes a little more of a question mark. It's not the same as the group last year. So ETN should be the second guy drafted. Again, the Jacksonville offense is going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. And, you know, Urban Meyer saying that ETN is going to be used as a receiver. Uh, doesn't necessarily speak to him being that type of workhorse that we look for, but should have those opportunities in the passing game. Uh, Trey Sermon's in a great spot for San Francisco, you know, just going to that offense where, you know, they're going to get great production from their running backs, but is it going to be too many guys and too many mouths to feed? But if he does get a chance and right now Raheem Mostert's hurt, Jeff Wilson's hurt. Those are the two lead guys last year. So Sermon's definitely interesting. And then one of my favorite guys is Michael Carter for the Jets uh, going to a situation where there is no lead guy. Uh, it'd be nice if Michael P. Ryan got that opportunity, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, they did bring in Tevin Coleman from San Francisco, so he knows the offense. But Michael Carter was really good in the secondary role behind Javante Williams, who's another rookie you should keep an eye on. But uh, Carter is somebody that I'm going to be very intrigued about, especially based on his price tag, which is usually in that round six range. So you can get him as a flex or maybe a fourth running back, depending on how you build your team. And I think he's got a chance to be special as the season goes on. So I'm going to go ahead and ask a little bit of a personal fantasy question here. Sure. So I have James Robinson in a league, and I also have the fourth overall pick that I traded for in a dynasty league. And running back is by far my biggest need. It's my weakest position. And at pick four, I know that Najee Harris is going to be gone for sure. There's a chance that ETN is there, but doubling up on the Jacksonville backfield scares me. I'm a Jags fan. I don't want to necessarily do that. Sure. So if you're looking past Najee and then you don't really want to take ETN because you have James Robinson, who's that like third guy that you think is just worth taking a shot on even like that high? Yeah, I, I think for dynasty purposes, it's Javante Williams, um, just because I, I think he could be Denver's lead running back this season. Wouldn't be surprised at all, just given Melvin Gordon getting up in age and, you know, struggling a little bit last year and uh, what Williams should be able to do. But, you know, I think by next year, he's the lead guy. And we know that the Broncos are, are you know, maybe in the process before this podcast is released, they're trying to upgrade their quarterback position uh, by trying to maybe make a trade for Aaron Rodgers. But I think by next year, they'll hopefully have their quarterback situation settled. So this offense, looks uh looks amazing now i think taking williams at four is probably a little too high so if you could trade back maybe to somebody's looking to get kyle pitts or looking to get one of those receivers that you know if it's not jamar chase maybe it's Devonte smith or jalen waddle um you know i don't know if it's a two quarterback league or super flex league where, where obviously trevor lawrence is up there but um you know williams is probably in the five to seven range as opposed to one of the top four overall picks in, in a dynasty draft so you might be able to get something and, and, and trade back a spot or two but um, if you are looking to uh, avoid the Jaguars running backs, then, then Javante Williams would be the next running back for me. Good to know. Got it right from an expert. People <laughs> in my league that listen to this might be a little upset, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, well, um, all right. So let's let's little segue here. Uh, I guess we'll just go from, from uh, one position to another. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll touch on, on some wide receiver talk. Uh, so I, I guess leading into this, actually, so – when it comes to being in a PPR league, uh, do you do you believe, uh, especially with this season with, with Christian McCaffrey being ranked number one nationwide, 
uh, would, would you still take a, a wide receiver, number one in a PPR over Christian McCaffrey, or would you take that running back? I'm taking the running back. Uh, obviously, the, the receivers are going to probably score close to what some of the running backs do. Not necessarily McCaffrey, but once you get past the top three or four guys, the receivers typically dominate the scoreboard. But there's so many great wide receivers. I mean, um, you know, I hope Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay for Devontae Adams' purposes. Uh, obviously, you've seen what Tyreek Hill was able to do. Stephon Diggs, what he did last season. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, both those guys switching teams and still being amazing, you know, obviously fantasy options. Uh, Michael Thomas, I think, will bounce back depending on the quarterback situation in New Orleans. But if he's healthy, you know he's going to put up good numbers. You get to some of the younger guys, A.J. Brown, Calvin Ridley, you know, guys that are entering their third and fourth seasons, uh, Terry McLaurin. Um, it's just uh, I, I could sit here and name 30 guys that have an opportunity to be in the top five, let alone the top 10. So it's just such a deep position. So the guys at the top, as we saw last year, Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, you know, they're going to be dominant forces. They're worth taking in the first round potentially, um, again, if Adams does have Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball, but it's just such a deep position that I think you're going to find a few guys, you know, just to, to go back to the sophomore running backs. Think about some of the sophomore receivers. CD lamb did not have a full season of Dak Prescott. He was awesome in the five games that Prescott played. I think T Higgins still has an opportunity to play well, even though Jamar chase is on the Bengals roster. Brandon Ayuk was really good last year, you know, so it's a really deep group. Um, you know, hopefully we get some bounce back performances from the vet, some of the veterans that, you know, like Odell Beckham and Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, guys who had somewhat of a down season, but um, it's just, there, there's so many great wide receivers. So um, you can, you can build your team as we talk, uh, you know, zero RB, which is, you know, not taking a running back until at the earliest, maybe the fifth or sixth round. Uh, that's a little risky, but um, you know, a lot of people love doing it. Uh, I, I'd like to take more of a modified zero RB approach, which is, you know, you take one running back early and then get some wide receiver depth, but um, you don't necessarily have to take a wide receiver at the top of your draft. It's more toward the back end of the first round if you're going to consider that. But um, it's just such a deep position that you don't have to necessarily go crazy at wide receiver early. Uh, you want to kind of save it for, I think, for me at least, starting in, in late round two, rounds three, four, and five, though, it's a good spot to build that wide receiver core. Right. And uh, so for the stock on, on Adams, like I, I could tell it's very high if Aaron Rodgers stays in, in Green Bay. But let's let's say – Aaron Rodgers is officially done and he, and he wants out and he gets out uh, and it's Jordan love playing quarterback. How, how much, how much stock do you, do you think Adams, uh, how much of Adam's stock do you think uh, goes down? Goes down, you know, quite a bit. Um, you know, he's still a great player and I think he'll still produce, you know, quality numbers. You know, you got to buy into the offense. You got to buy into the player. Um, if it is Jordan love, I'd be a little bit more concerned and this is going to sound funny, especially, you know, for you as a Jaguars fan, um, if it's Blake Bortles, for example, you know, uh, at least, you know, having somebody in there who's uh, a little bit more competent for better or worse, at least he's played. Uh, but I think we're going to have to see, you know, where the trade is, you know, if it is a trade to Denver, you know, is it Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke coming over? Um, if it's a trade to the Raiders, which is still on the table, um, you know, Derek Carr, I think would be good for Devontae Adams because at least you know that he's featured a receiving option. Darren Waller, for example, you know, got great numbers out of him. So uh, we'll have to see who the quarterback is. And so, you know, it's kind of an interesting market for Devontae Adams right now for people who play in best ball, for people who are in dynasty leagues. Um, you know, if you're trying to trade for him, his value is depressed a little bit because of the fact that Aaron Rodgers may not be there. So I've seen him fall to the third round in some drafts, uh, even right now, knowing that Aaron Rodgers is still on the team. If you get that type of steal, I think it's fantastic. But uh, if it didn't, if again, it is Jordan Love, Blake Bortles, you know, one of these, uh, you know, lesser quarterbacks, obviously, than Aaron Rodgers, then there's going to be a concern about Devontae Adams' value. So that's why you see guys like Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs and some of these other wide receivers going ahead of him, depending on how you draft and how you build your team. 
And then, um, so uh, let's see. I, I, I was gonna segue really quick to the quarterback. Sorry for for hip hopping everywhere. No worries. But um, but uh, yeah. So I actually did notice um that um you, Dave Richard, and Heat Cummings again actually had Dak Prescott collectively at number five for the quarterbacks. And um, this would be another player coming coming off of a uh, injury year. And uh, you know, personally, uh, I'm an I'm an Eagles fan. So I but I, I will admit that you know Cowboys are are a talented roster and they should be able to work. Um. But I guess the question is, uh, do you think Dak will have like that that year where it's is actually like he is the elite quarterback and and you know just stuff like that? He's been an elite quarterback basically his entire you know elite fantasy quarterback his entire NFL career. Um, you know you go back to last year again those five games uh, points per game he was the number one quarterback by the end of the season. Obviously the sample size is small, but. Um, I think with the new system in place that they have, uh, with the receiving core that they have, you can argue it's the best in the NFL, uh, certainly in the conversation, you know, with what CD Lamb brings to the table, you know, you're more of experience and, you know, he was pretty good for Dak in those first five games. They're going to get Blake Jarwin back, who's their starting tight end. He missed the majority of the season, got hurt in week one. Um, obviously, Michael Gallup is still a good player and, and you know what Amari Cooper does. So uh, Dak runs enough, uh, gets you enough rushing touchdowns that he's not in the Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray conversation, but he's in that next group. And so uh, based on his rushing ability, based on the offense and the throwing, uh, as long as that ankle is okay and he can stay healthy, one of the best offensive lines in football still, um, he's got a chance to be, you know, one of the best fantasy quarterbacks. So that top five uh, and, and, you know, you referenced, we all have Dak at five is going to probably be what you see in the majority of rank lists. You know, I don't know if, if somebody's going to take, let's say, a Justin Herbert ahead of them. You know, Eagles fans may take a Jalen Hurts ahead of them. Um, you know, the possibility is, is, is there, you know, Tom Brady, for example, depending on how you build your team. You know, he was great last year as well, and everybody knows the name. But the top five of Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott um, is, is pretty, you know, I think locked in for the most part. And um, uh, Dak could be second. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to take him over Mahomes, but he could certainly be in that conversation. Uh, but I think, you know, five for me is, is kind of where he falls, uh, just because I like the upside slightly better of the other four guys. Okay, nice. And then kind of sticking in the NFC East, uh, kind of topic, I did notice that, uh, you three did have Jalen Hurts, uh, ranked fairly high, uh, or like around the top 10 area, but I can't help but notice, you know, other media companies, uh, they don't really have a lot of faith in Jalen Hurts. I was wondering what, uh, what put your faith in him? Well, you do, you know, again, we, we, we unfortunately, and, and fortunately sometimes, but in the fantasy business, uh, we do a lot of extrapolating of numbers and, you know, you take the sample size of what Jalen Hurts showed you, you know, so in the three games that he started fully started and finished, you know, throughout the week 17 game. Um, but you take the three games that he started and finished, uh, he would have been on pace over a 16 game season. Obviously it's changed now 17 game season, but over 16 game season, uh, over 4,000 passing yards and 1200 rushing yards, you know? And so anytime you have those rushing numbers for a quarterback, and if they can throw the ball to any level of, you know, competency and, and Lamar Jackson showed us that when he was the MVP, cause he was awesome in 2019. Uh, Jalen hurts has that type of upside, not to be the MVP unless uh, things just absolutely break. Right. But, um, he has that upside to be a top five fantasy quarterback if he can get to that 4,000, 1,000 number, um, which is, you know, be the first time ever. So, again, you're asking a lot out of a guy who only started three full games, played in five. Uh, but the addition of Devontae Smith, I think, is a great, you know, uh, move by the Eagles, you know, going up to go get him in the draft. The offensive line is going to bounce back because guys are healthy. Um, so I think the offensive group will be better. You know, I like the fact that he's already taken some receivers and gone to a location uh, away from the team and, you know, is throwing with them. So, 
Um, I, I think it's a, it, it's a good opportunity for a rushing quarterback to have some great fantasy success and uh, would not be surprised if he cr- does crack that top five just based on what he can do with his legs. Right. And uh, so sp- kind of speaking on, on the running quarterback, actually, uh, would you say that that's becoming a lot more of a trend with like Lamar Jackson and uh, like starting to break out? Dak Prescott's really good at rushing. Jalen Hurts doing the same thing. Do you think that's becoming more of, of a football trend? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you want guys that can do things out of the pocket, you know, especially as we get, you know, a little bit, you know, skewed towards younger coaches as opposed to some of these old school, you know, guys that just want the guys to stay in the pocket and, you know, uh, it's a copycat league, you know, so the, the Bucks winning a Super Bowl, Tom Brady, I think, you know, some teams want to go back to that a little bit. But, you know, again, think about the quarterbacks that I referenced of the top five. Mahomes, he's not a rusher to the extent of what you think of, but he's mobile. Uh, Josh Allen, he's, uh, you know, going to give you those rushing touchdowns. You know, what he does inside the 10, inside the five, that's hard to overlook. Um, Kyler Murray, obviously, what he does with his legs. Uh, Lamar and Dak, as we talked about. Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, Herbert, I think, is along the lines of what Mahomes and Allen do you know, where they can get you 300 rushing yards in that range over the course of the season, which is just a nice bonus. Uh, we've seen Russell Wilson run a little bit less, but obviously, you know, his, his best days came when he was running a little bit more in terms of what he was able to do for the team. And so it give you that added dimension. So uh, what quarterbacks are able to do with their legs, you know, I was just listening to uh, some radio show uh, earlier this week talking about Daniel Jones. It was uh, maybe Tiki and Turney, uh, you know, one of the CBS shows. And they're based in New York. And obviously Tiki Barber is one of the co-hosts there. So he's, you know, got ties to the Giants talking about what Daniel Jones is able to do. And if he could put things, put his, you know, passing game together, you know, he's got that mobility as an athlete. And the, the thing they were talking about was his ability to move around and, and what he can do. I think he beats a lot of the guys in some of the running drills that they've been doing in camp and, and, and OTAs and whatever. So, um, you know, you want these guys that can be different. Uh, you know, it's going to be the, the same for Trevor Lawrence. You know, he ran for almost a thousand yards over the three seasons he was in Clemson. Uh, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, those guys can move. And so um, uh, it's why they go ahead of the, the Mac Joneses of the world. You know, not that he's not a good athlete, but he's not at the athlete, athletic level of what those other three quarterbacks are. And I think that was reflected in the draft and some of the things that you heard going into the draft and obviously coming out of the draft. All right. Yeah, for sure. So one more jump to yet another player group and tight ends it'll give us a chance to talk about some gator athletes which is cool because there's now two florida tight ends that are making the news so kyle pitts is the obvious one he's in the top 10 cracking the top five of some rankings he's already the number one in atlanta julio's gone now so he's the number two pass catching option behind calvin ridley it would seem like Matt Ryan's still very competent at quarterback, really good. What does his outlook look like this season as far as is he going to be able to compete for maybe like a top three spot and getting into that top tier of tight ends? Because with tight ends, there's always Kelsey and Kittle, and then Waller's kind of crawled his way up in there in that top ranking. And mm-hmm. then it seems like there's a little bit of like a drop-off. And then after that, there's a huge drop-off with tight ends. So where do you think Pitts is going to fall into that this season? I think he's behind the top three, you know, uh, it just w- what those guys should be able to do. And, and the thing that, uh, you know, aside from Kelsey, just because he's in an Andy Reed offense with, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league right now, um, he's on a little bit of a different scale and Kittle's an, an interesting one to look at because what I'm, what I'm going to get to um, you kind of want your tight end to be the best pass catcher on your team. Now, Kelsey, probably is the best pass catcher on the Chiefs, but Tyreek Hill's pretty good. So it's a, it's a, it's a give and take type of argument. 
Um, when you look at Darren Waller, there's nobody to threaten him for targets. When George Kittle's been at his best, there's no one to threaten him for targets. That may change this year with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel if those guys stay healthy. Um, a guy that I like a lot is TJ Hawkinson. The Lions don't have a lot of great pass catchers, so I think Hawkinson has a chance to be special. Dallas Goddard for Philadelphia. You know, if Devontae Smith is a typical rookie wide receiver, takes a little bit of time to get, you know, his footing, Dallas Goddard could be the target leader and, and best pass catcher for the Eagles. I don't think Pitts is going to be the best pass catcher for the Falcons, but as you alluded to, there is obviously no more Julio Jones. So there's a lot of targets available, basically 10 per game. Now, does he get those 10 targets? Um, I think he's going to get a majority of them. He's not your typical tight end, obviously, because of what he's able to do and what he did uh, at the collegiate level. The problem is I think the expectations are a little bit too out of reach for Kyle Pitts to achieve as a rookie tight end, because that position is so hard to have success as a rookie. The best rookie tight end ever was Mike Ditka. We're talking the 1960s. You know, that's how far back it was that the best rookie tight end performed. And there's been some first round guys lately. TJ Hawkinson was a high first round pick. Didn't perform very well for the Lions. Eric Ebron, high first round pick. Didn't perform very well for the Lions. Vernon Davis, once upon a time, was the sixth overall pick for, I think it was Washington or San Francisco. Uh, I forget where he started, but I think it was San Francisco. Um, didn't have a great rookie season. So it's hard for these guys to step in and perform at the level I think that people are looking at for what Kyle Pitts can do. Now, that being said, he's a different kind of player. Uh, the NFL has evolved since the, the, the 1960s, obviously. And uh, I think he's going to have a chance to put up good numbers. So uh, top three is probably a little bit unrealistic. Um, top six, I think, is realistic. You know, certainly top 10. And so you should draft him as a number one guy. You should also just go into it with the idea of maybe I need to draft two tight ends or maybe I just need to keep an eye on who's out there on the waiver wire. Uh, but I think Kyle Pitts has a chance to be special because he's playing for a coach who's a former tight ends coach, Arthur Smith, before he was the offensive coordinator for the Titans was the tight ends coach. And, you know, they did some nice things there with Delaney Walker and then John Smith and uh, had some nice tight end performances. And Matt Ryan, you know, you go back through his career, uh, you know, Tony Gonzalez was one of his best pass catchers, you know, one of the best of all time. Um, he got great numbers out of Austin Hooper before he went to Cleveland and he got good numbers out of Hayden Hurst. And so there's a chance for Kyle Pitts to be good. I just think you got to keep the expectations in check. Like I did a draft a couple weeks ago with some other analysts. He went in the third round. I just think that's a mistake to take Kyle Pitts that high. Yeah. And then as far as his like dynasty outlook, he's definitely high first round pick, right? In a dynasty draft, rookie draft. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have the, 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 the pick, I think where you could see him go, um, you know, if he lasts till four, um, he's just got that, that chance to be in, he should be in the top four. Uh, you know, when you, you talk about Jamar Chase, Najee Harris, I think for me, he's in, in the top three, uh, you know, for what Pitts has the ability to do long-term now, you know, we'll see, cause there's going to be a quarterback change during his time with the Falcons. Cause Matt Ryan has probably uh, got one more year left depending on his contract situation. But um you know, based on his, his athletic profile, based on his collegiate numbers, based on his opportunity, you know, he has a chance to be just an absolute stud and obviously I'm a little biased. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are as well. Uh, but you know, to see what Kyle Pitts should be able to do. Yeah. Uh, you can, you can make a case. He's the first overall pick in the dynasty league, just based on the position that he plays and how good he can be. Right. Right. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to Kyle Pitts season. I think, I think he'll definitely do fairly well. Um, kind of sticking on the same uh, tight end subject and Florida subject. Uh, there's a whole whole fiasco going down right now up in up in Duval County uh, with Jacksonville Jaguars. I, I was I was wondering your your opinion about uh, the the Tim Tebow uh, moves and uh, if you think it's it's going to work out. I mean, it's it's hard for guys to transition from one position to the next 
it's very difficult when they've been out of the league for a long time. And it's extremely difficult when they're in their early thirties. You know, I give Tim Tebow all the credit in the world for trying to, you know, still fulfill his dream um, for being a little bit less stubborn than he was maybe earlier in his career when he was reluctant to change positions uh, to try something different. Um, you know, kudos to Urban Meyer for giving an opportunity to go out, you know, still get a chance to play. But, uh, you know, from the reports I saw when he was, you know, out there with the other tight ends, he's small. That's understood, you know, for a guy that's never played the position and obviously uh, not built as a tight end. But he could be a gimmick player. I mean, he could certainly go in and do a few different things, you know, Taysom Hill type of things. You know, he uh, he probably was a little before his time in terms of what guys are doing in the NFL. And maybe if he had been with the right coach, he, he got the chance to to do some different things once his opportunity as a quarterback failed. He's obviously not going to be the prototypical tight end. He's not going to be their starting tight end. Um, can he do some things to help that team? Potentially, but uh, fantasy-wise, I think, you know, people should probably not have that many high expectations for Tim Debo. So it's a great story. Um, you know, I hope he makes the team and gets a chance to play and, you know, gets an opportunity. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun to see Trevor Lawrence's first NFL touchdown go to Tim Tebow. But um, I, I, I think agree more, with that. <laughs> more along the lines of uh, – you know, for him personally, I think it's a better story as opposed to what the Jaguars are as a team. For sure, for sure. And um, all right, sticking with the with the alumni kind of talk. Um, another rookie going in that I think will actually have a huge impact in the NFC East um, is uh, Kadarius Tony. Um, he, he got drafted by by the New York Giants. Um, I did. I, I do have a few Giants fans uh, as friends. Surprisingly, as an Eagles fan, I know that, that sounds weird. Um, but they most most Giants fans didn't seem too excited about Tony. But I, I try to explain that Tony, you know, at Florida, he's a great athlete. He can make stuff happen. So I was wondering, um, in your opinion, what kind of impact, you know, both, you know, just in general and fantasy wise, do you think Tony will have in uh, New York? This is one of those guys that I think impacts the team more than it, he does himself. Uh, you know, because I do think that he's going to make a lot of big plays. You know, I don't think he's going to have you know the target share that you know most top end wide receivers do at least initially. Um, I think he's going to be, you know, as good as probably Daniel Jones and, and Jason Garrett are as quarterback and play caller. Uh, but as a crowded receiving core, you know, I mean, they brought in Kenny Galladay to be the number one guy there. Uh, Sterling Shepard still uh, the de facto slot guy for now. You know, I think that's probably where Tony ends up playing eventually. And Shepard is, is uh, at the end of his contract. And they have two tight ends that they're going to use. Evan Ingram is the better pass catcher, but they bring in Kyle Rudolph. Uh, it's also going to be a run first team. So I think for Tony, you're going to see, you know, a big jet sweep type of play, a big bubble screen type of play, you know, maybe an opportunity on special teams that they use him in the return game. You know, he's going to have some, some big play moments to help the giants. I'm sure for your uh, sake, not against the Eagles, but he's going to have a chance to make some plays. Now next year, I think is where as a fantasy option, he comes into play. So this is really more of a long-term versus short-term short-term. I don't think you're going to see him on a lot of rosters initially, you know, he'll be one of those guys you take with a late round pick with the hope of, Oh, it's a first round talent. Uh, maybe he clicks, you know, uh, obviously, you know, uh, Regency is, is, is going to matter. Uh, you know, if you've seen him play, you're going to say, Oh, that guy can, you know, play. I saw him at Florida on some big spots. Um, but you know, I, I think he's going to be a guy that maybe gets cut after the first couple of weeks because he's not performing at the level that you look at, but he's going to be one of those guys that has, uh, you know, a, a 40 yard catch to set up a game winning field goal, a, a 50 yard touchdown, um, you know, on a big play where he breaks some tackles because we know he's really good yards after the catch. Um, he'll have a big run, you know, to set up a play, you know, so he's going to be that type of player. Uh, and I think as he grows into his role uh, and they, you know, change some things personnel wise for the giants, again, probably Sterling Shepard being the biggest one. Uh, he has a chance, I think by next year to be a significant contributor where we are talking about him maybe as a number three type of fantasy option. And you'll see him in that sleeper conversation going into 2022. So I'm very excited to see what Kadarius Tony does. I think 
He could also benefit from if the Giants have an off year, maybe it's time to move on from Daniel Jones. I feel like that could be something that could kind of put his fantasy value and just his impact on that offense in question and maybe even change it for the better going into next season. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with what the Giants are doing, especially with bringing in Galladay, bringing him in. I feel like they're at a point where it's either Daniel Jones is going to be successful with this group around him or it's going to be the end of that. Totally agree. Yep. Yeah. Uh, do you think a, a team in the NFC East will actually break out past eight wins this year? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> you know, I think uh, <laughs> you'd you like to see um, a little bit more, you know, competitiveness. Uh, well, I, I mean, it was obviously competitive, but, you know, you like to see a team that has a chance to maybe, you know, do some damage. You know, the team that's very interesting, and I know you're not going to like to hear this, is, is uh, Washington. Um, you know, that, that defense looks uh, really, really tough. Uh, I like what they've done with their skill players. You know, I think Gibson and McLaurin are two special talents. Uh, but they're asking a lot from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, you know, he, uh, he played well in his, you know, final two years with the Dolphins. Um, is that going to be good enough to carry them past what Alex Smith did when he was healthy last year uh, for Washington? So Dallas has obviously got the most talent on an offensive standpoint. I think Washington as a whole, uh, Philly and the Giants are wild cards because if their quarterbacks step forward and things fall into place, they could easily be the best teams in their division or best, you know, one of those teams could be the best team in their division. But to me, Washington looks like the best team going in and we'll see if they're able to be the best team going out. All right. Uh, it's funny because I actually agree with, with your whole list there. As biased as I am, huge Eagles fans, but you're right. Washington uh, does, does look the strongest, I think. Um, I, I've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick play against the Eagles live twice in person and uh, <laughs> he, he dominated the Eagles both times. So that makes me a little bit worried. But uh, yeah, anyway, but that being said, uh, Jamie, I, I think I think we're out of ammo here with the questions, but uh, thank you so much for joining the show. It was an absolute pleasure to get all this awesome fantasy football advice that our leagues are going to be totally jealous of. And um, yeah, so, so thank you again. We, we appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. I appreciate you having me on and uh, hopefully we talk again soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. great time. Next off season, let's make it happen again going into the next football season. Sure thing. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, Jamie. Well, thank you again. And um, I guess with that being said, thank, thank you guys for listening to the Alligator Sports Pod. And uh, for Joe Henry, uh, this is us signing off.